Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Cubitt. So we've been talking about Jesus now for about four and a half years, so that's good. Let's keep talking about Jesus. We're in a series titled Reframed. If you want to go ahead and turn there now, I'm going to teach out of Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll get to that in just a few moments. But we've been, we've been in a series titled Reframed. And essentially this is the thesis, the one thing, as Pastor Rick would call it. What is the one thing you want them to know? The one thing I want you to know in this sermon series is that you were this horrible, ugly picture but through Christ Jesus, you have been reframed into this beautiful picture. That you are no longer who you were, but you are now something better because of the Spirit that God has placed in you, made available to you through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so we started that conversation, and I, I try to do... I don't know if it actually works or not, because I've been punching the head a lot, but... I try to be very systematic in my approach to teaching, especially when it comes to series. So the first one we talked about, if you'll remember, is that we were originally people of wrath, framed in wrath, deserving of wrath according to the Word of God, because we were in disobedience, sons of disobedience, rebellious to a mighty and holy God. But Jesus Christ saved us and reframed us through redemption. He bought us back with the shedding of His own blood. And so as horrible as we were, deserving His wrath as we were, Jesus changed everything. Having changed everything and redeemed us, He placed His Spirit in us. He turned our heart of stone, which is what we talked about last week. We had a heart of stone, and He gave us a heart of flesh, a, fle a, a heart that is sensitive to what He wants, His desires, and His Spirit. And so we were hardened, but no, hardened no longer. We've been reframed to something else. And because we have been reframed, and this is the last thing I told you last week, that we've been reframed for the purpose of sensitivity that God expects us to be sensitive and move into Christ-likeness. That we're called to be like Jesus. I could use big words like righteous and all these kinds of things, but essentially all these, that means I'm trying to be more like Jesus. And that should be our ultimate goal. Amen? And so today, where we've talked about reframing from wrath to relationship, heart of stone to heart of flesh, Today I want to talk to you about how Jesus reframed us from our old self and who that old self was into our new self and who that new self should be. The pursuit of Christ-likeness. Everybody all right? So this is what we're going to talk about today. The pursuit of Christ-likeness. The taking off of the old, the putting on the new. I have spent half of every sermon, or relatively close to half of every sermon in this series, painting this ugly picture. Why we deserved wrath, the, the nature, the depravity of our sin. And why. And then the other half, painting this beautiful picture of who we are now. Wouldn't it be better if Pastor Jim just talked about this pretty picture? Wouldn't it be a better use of our time to just talk about this beautiful picture? No. Because you don't understand how pretty this picture is until you hold it against this one and realize how ugly this one is. How horribly deficient this one was. And how beautiful this one is now. All of it done in Christ Jesus. As I say, none of us have the power or the ability to do it on our own. Jesus did it. And now He is expecting us. He has given us the ability through salvation, through His Spirit, to move from that old self to that new self. We've been given, we have given our lives to the Lord, and as having given our lives to the Lord, 
we should have a new nature. We are completely different creatures than we were according to the Word of God. That you are a new creation. You had a mind, a will, a relationship, a knowledge, and a wisdom, and a desire that was ungodly before. But your nature has changed. And because of that, you have a mind, will, heart, inheritance, relationship with God, power, knowledge, His wisdom, His love, His desire, and His citizenship. Not because anything any of us did, but because of everything that Jesus did for us. That ought to make you dance just a little bit. When you recognize what we didn't deserve, but that Christ gave it to us anyway. And He changed our nature. I'm going to use an illustration that most everybody's familiar with, and you're going to know exactly where I'm coming from when I say it. But I want to talk to you about the butterfly. How many of you guys have ever seen a caterpillar? I'm not talking about a fancy caterpillar. I'm just talking about one of those regular old caterpillars, grub-wormy-looking caterpillars that are just one, they're like green, and they just look like a, like almost a slug with too many legs. You know what I'm talking about? Grub wormy looking. This is who we were before Jesus. Y'all can quote me on that. Pastor Jim says we were grub wormy. <laughs> this ain't the worst thing I've ever called you. You're just not usually in a room. <laughs> but, they created a cocoon for us. And when we crawled up in that cocoon, our nature changed. When we gave up our lives and gave our lives to Christ Jesus, our nature changed. That grub-wormy-looking caterpillar busted through that chrysalis. Beautiful. Looked differently. Acted differently could fly where it couldn't fly before. Got people's attention where it wasn't capable of catching anyone's attention before. It was a completely different creature. It had literally taken off its old self and put on its new self. This is our pre and post salvation experience. We were this thing. And now, through Christ Jesus, we have been made this beautiful, I refuse to call myself a butterfly, but with this beautiful thing. I, my mind goes to Bugs Life. Y'all ever seen that movie? I'm a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, those of you that don't know it, go watch it. It's pretty funny. Like He turns into a butterfly, but he's got wings this big, and he's super fat, and he's just all, can't really get off the ground. Anyway, I need y'all to focus. But this is our pre- and post-confession before giving our life to Jesus and after. We see this in the newness of life according to Romans 6.4. Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Gosh, that's beautiful. We were dead. And buried with Christ Jesus. And because He is the first fruits of the resurrection. Just as He is alive today, we are alive today because of Him. Mm. So, with that being the case, Jesus has reframed us from new to old, and I want to talk about, or from old to new, and I want to talk to you about what those two frames look like. If you'll turn to Ephesians 4, if you're not there already, I'm going to start in verse 17, go through 24. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of your mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. 
Just so you guys know, where you see their, where their understanding, ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart, he's talking about them, but he's also talking about you. This is a letter to Christians. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, but they did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. Everybody say, lay aside the old self. All right, just want to make sure you stay with me. Which is in the likeness, I'm sorry, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self. Everybody say, put on the new self. Which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Amen. And so let's talk about these two frames. We were deformed in our old self. We were deformed in our old self. We write these things down. I repeat them. I teach in, it, most of you guys know this, I teach in outline format so it's easy for you to take notes. Because the last time you hear it come out of my mouth isn't the last time that you should ponder it, that you should meditate on it. I need you to write it down. Or at least know where to find it. Verse 17, 19. We were in our old self, and this is what our old self looked like. I'm going to read these three verses again. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. We were Gentiles. I'm just going to break this down like I try, I try to normally do. We were Gentiles. We were ungodly, unregenerate pagans living as the world lived. Sinning because sin was good. In our mind, we were corrupt, destructive. Our motives were sinful. Not just theirs, ours. We lived in, as the ungodly lived. According to this text, in the uselessness, which is what futility means, in the uselessness of our minds. Romans one twenty one says, for even though they knew God because of... It doesn't say because of creation, but I put that in parentheses. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile, useless in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. There's a lot of theology right there. Let me, let me explain this to you for a few moments. It says this, Even though they knew God, how would they have known God if they'd never seen or confessed God? Because the Bible says in the verses leading up to that that God makes Himself knowable to us through creation. That we are born with an innate understanding that God exists. We may not know what to call Him. We may not know how to pray to Him. We may not know all of these things. But our walk outside, watch the grass grow. Look at a flower and see how it pollinates. Watch the, the wild life. And God will show Himself to you. But in the futility of our mind, we disregarded all of that. Which is amazing to me. It's amazing to me because I, I disregarded it until I was 34 years old when I gave my life to the Lord in 2006 and had a revelation. Because I knew that there was a God, but I was bound by futile speculation. What does that mean? Useless speculation. This is the world we live in. We live in a world that is futile. Not stupid. Just useless. Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. None of these folks were stupid. 
their thinking was useless. They had false speculation. And let me, let me tell you, let me explain to you what I mean. We see this in a lot of modern philosophies. We don't want to acknowledge God, so we build futile speculations to justify our denial of Him. How many of you guys have heard something like this? All roads lead to heaven. That's a futile speculation. It's you recognizing that whether you recognize it or not, it's you trying to, trying to find a way past death to, and still justify the way that you're living. All roads lead to heaven, indeed. They do. Did you know the Bible actually says that? All roads lead to heaven? But not everybody gets to stay there. The Bible says every knee will bow. Everybody will be judged. Guess where that's happening? That's happening in heaven. But not everybody gets to stay there. But we, through futile speculation, have allowed ourselves to believe. The sinner has allowed themselves to believe it doesn't matter how you act. All roads lead to heaven. God of love loves me regardless. How can a God of love send me to hell? fact of the matter is, the God of love didn't send you to hell. You were already going to hell. Bibles, we all know John 3.16, but very few of us know 3.17 and 18, that we were already judged. Jesus was coming to save us from the judgment we were already under. And if you don't accept him as Lord and Savior, then you've made a decision to go to hell. God didn't make a decision to send you there. You were already judged going there. And anything other than that is a false truth, which is to say no truth at all, a futile speculation. But these go on and on and on in our world today. Evolution. Well, I believe in evolution. Well, I'll tell you, you can believe in evolution all you want to, but the Bible says that the world is not billions of years old. I don't believe that the world slowly formed into what it is. I believe in a literal translation of the Word of God, which says that there's six days that God created the earth. That there was a day, and then dark, and then light, and that was the first day, and then dark, and then light, and that was the second day. These are literal six days. And in that we say, in that time frame, this thing became this thing. I'll be honest with you, it's insulting to me for you, to, or for anyone, to say that that which God made came from a monkey. And you should be insulted by that. But we do it. And why do we do it? Because if I can say that I, I came from nothing, that I am evolved from something, then the only thing that matters is that I make it to the next stage of evolution, which says that only the strong survive. So now I can justify whatever I need to do to make sure that I survive. It doesn't matter who it hurts. That's a futile speculation. I had a student come up to me. I worked at the police academy for some time, as most of you know. And I had a student come up to me one time, and he wanted to argue evolution with me. I'm not, I'm not good at arguing. Actually, I'm really good at arguing. <laughs> I don't know that I make any points, but I'm really good at it. And I told him, I said, so what you're telling me that you believe that at some point in our past, something became something else completely. He said, yeah. And I, I laid it out a little bit further, a little bit more expansively than that, but he said, yeah. I said, okay, well, let's test that. And I grabbed a stapler off my desk. I told him to do push-ups because he had to because he, he was at the police academy and I was an instructor, so he used to do push-ups. And I grabbed my stapler and I put it in front of his face on the floor. And I said, when that stapler turns into a tape dispenser, you can stop doing push-ups. <laughs> because you're going to want it to turn into that tape dispenser pretty bad after a while. And I walked out of my office. I really just intended to walk out for a few minutes, but I got caught up with a colleague in the hallway, and then we went and ate lunch. <laughs> and I came back like an hour and a half later, and he's literally in a pool of his own sweat, looked like he was about half dead. But guess what? That stapler was still a stapler. 
It's foolish speculations like this that draw us away from the heart of God. It's futile speculations that tell us it's okay to abort a child right before it's born. Because it's a clump of cells that has no consciousness, it has no soul, it has no insert, whatever it is we do to justify that sin. But I will tell you, if God made it, the day it became made, the day it was conceived, that became a human life. And you can argue that all you want to, but the fact of the matter is this is the profound word of truth by which we live. And this, that's what the scripture says. That before your first day, I knew all of your days. But in futile speculation, we've decided, we decided in this frame that we were going to live how we wanted to live. We had this. In mind, 1 Corinthians 15, 32. This is Paul. He says, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we will die. He's saying, what difference does it make? If there's no life after death, you might as well just eat, drink, and die. But you know what's sad? People will do that not realizing that there is a life after death. And that life after death, it doesn't matter whether you're saved or not, still exists. Mm. We were darkened in our understanding, according to the Scripture. Our thinking was futile because we were ignorant. Our heart was hardened. Because we were ignorant, we became insensitive to the voice of God. Have you guys ever seen cheesecloth? So cheesecloth, you could see cheesecloth, you could kind of see through cheesecloth, right? Let me explain to you how the heart is hardened how we become displaced from God. God tells us something. Don't do that. Or He reveals Christ to us. And whatever He says to us, we ignore. And a piece of cheesecloth is laid over our heart. We can still see the heart. But it's, it's not as apparent. And then God tells us something else. But don't you know I love you? Can you not see outside that I made all things just by going outside? And we refuse that. And another piece of cheesecloth is laid over our heart. And God said, but I sent my son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And we refuse that. And another piece of cheesecloth is laid over our heart. And God reveals something else to us. And something else to us. And something else to us. Until ultimately our heart is hardened to where we can't understand the truth. And we become darkened in our understanding. You want to know how the world got to the world way to where the world is today? It's stop listening to the voice of God. There are things going on in this generation that would have never been conceived 20 years ago. It's almost as though we are looking for new, profound ways to insult the divine God. Because our heart has been hardened. Not only has our heart been hardened, but the enemy has come along and tempted us. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4 through 4 says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, even if it is hidden, even if our heart is hardened, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God, small g, of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they may not see the light of the gospel or the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so the enemy comes, and he confirms the hardness that's in our heart. This is the condition of the lost soul. This is the condition of the unrepentant soul. This is the condition of the soul that is determined to mute the voice of God. 
Sadly, this is the condition of many people even in the church. I I read a quote one time and it saddened me because it's true, I think. If the Holy Spirit completely left the church, 70% of what went on there would still go on there. Nobody would notice. Doesn't that make you sad? It's sad because it's true. We go through this systematic approach to church and we don't stop and listen to the voice of God and we've hardened our hearts and the enemy's come alongside and veiled the gospel to us. This is who we were, callous in our mind. One commentator said we had a we had a soul prior to salvation had a soul incapable of bearing the pain of discipline. You know what that means? It means we had no discipline. If it felt good, we'd do it. You guys remember that life? If it felt good, I'd do it. That the the pleasure of the right now wins every time over the discipline to be required to overcome that desire. I've lived that life. I know many of us have. Probably most of us have. When we were that way, we strive to fulfill our appetites. Philippians 3.9 says, Whose end is destruction, who God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things. Is that not the world today? He says, their end is destruction. Their God, small g, is their appetite. Whatever brings them pleasure. Whatever fills them up. Did you know you were created with a God-sized hole in you? And that's the appetite God gave you. But so many of us try to fill that God-sized hole with something else. Because it's convenient, because it makes me happy, because it makes me feel good, because it makes me feel loved. But can I tell you that only God can, God can fill that hole. That's a God hole. That's not, that's not a hole for you to fill. So we succumb to our own appetites. We glory in our shame. I said just a few moments ago, they're doing stuff right now 20 years ago you'd never thought of. I can remember a time when if somebody committed adultery, they were they, it was shameful. Like, the, like they wouldn't tell nobody. It was something done in secret in the dark with the door locked, all of that. Now what happens? Now guys high-five each other in the hallway because so-and-so slept with so-and-so's wife. And if he doesn't know it, it's even funnier to them. Go to Gay Pride Festival. They're glorying in what should cause them shame. But I can't just be on them because heterosexuals do the same thing. I would be appalled you guys would be appalled. Well, you probably wouldn't be appalled because we grow insensitive to it. At the things that even heterosexual people are willing to say in public these days. It's sad and ridiculous. But this is the insensitivity of a hardened heart. Of a veiled gospel. This is who we were. We used others to sort out our own... To, uh, we used others to our own advantage. Second Peter 2.3 and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Any of you guys ever take advantage of somebody else? Because you could? Or because they had something you needed? Or maybe even not something you needed, something you wanted. I have. And that could be anything. Money, attention, drugs, alcohol, sex. 
in our framing of the old self, we were horrible. We turned our back to feel, we turned our back on God to fulfill our own desire. But I, I love that in every one of these reframings, there's there's a but statement. Verse 10. But God reframed us in Christ Jesus. For we must all... I'm sorry. I'm in the wrong page. That's why it didn't make no sense to me. Verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have learned, if you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in, Je is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. We were deformed in our old self. But praise God, we've been reformed in our new self. Let me tell you how beautiful this picture is. Verse 20 says, But you did not learn Christ in this way. He says, But instead, so Paul's saying, But you came to Christ. How did you come to Christ? What way did you come to Christ? I'll tell you how you came to Christ. Your individual story may be different, but at some point you had a revelation of Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That at some point you were a sinner and the Holy Spirit revealed the depravity in your heart to you. That probably looks like a different picture for each one of us. But that's the truth and the reality of what we came to. And in that moment, we were so crushed by the weight of who we are versus the holiness of God and the truth of his word that we came to a point of repentance declaring a Romans 10.9 statement. Jesus Christ is Lord, and I believe God raised him from the dead. Because that's why the Bible says you're saved. You shall be saved. What does your experience look like? Doesn't matter, but that you had one. I'm not here to judge how you got here. I'm just glad you're here. God, God's just glad you're here. Don't know what you've dealt with in your life. God does. I don't need to know. Some of y'all try to tell me stuff I don't want to know. I'm all, hey, pastor, I got to tell you some stuff. No, no, you don't. Because then I'm your pastor. I can't tell nobody, and now I'm stuck with all your junk. Right? Angela and I used to call that crop-dusted Christians. They come fly by you, they crop-dust you with all their crap, and then they fly off. And you're just there covered in their crap going. Right, baby? I mean, I appreciate you, and I'll minister to you. But I tell you, God cares more that you're in the room than he does about what got you into the room. He cares more that you have a relationship with his son Jesus than what caused you to have to have a relationship with his son Jesus. He died for you. He created in you a new self. He destroyed that depravity in your mind. He took that from you. He softened your heart like we talked about last week. Gave you his spirit so that we could remove ourselves from the old self and become the new self, the new Christ Jesus in us. We should start reflecting the Christ Jesus that is in us. Amen? Hey, can I tell you real quick, don't worry about that baby. I know y'all may not be worried about it. People around, it's a family church. 
There's, there's one way to show life in a church, and that's the young families that are in it. And so we, just, we celebrate that baby. Don't let, I know some people will be, oh, man, pastor's about to get mad. That baby keeps crying. I hold you, baby, if you want me to. Ask Angela. I just don't want you guys freaking, not, not the parents necessarily, but you guys around them because you're all, I know Pastor Jim, he's going to freak out. I'm not going to freak out. It's okay. We're a family. We got weird cousins, but we're a family. <laughs> I forgot where I was. We were talking about Jesus. We were delivered from who we were. The depraved mind, the hardened heart. We don't have to worry about that anymore because we don't think like we used to. Or we shouldn't think like we used to. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that He will instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. You've been given the mind of Christ. And let me tell you, the mind of Christ has never thought anything imperfect. The mind of Christ has never conceived of sin. And if the mind of Christ is perfect, and the mind of Christ has never conceived of sin... And that same spirit that Christ carried, he, you carry, He placed in you, then guess what? You have the ability to put away that sin. You have ability to walk out that Christ-likeness. You don't think like you used to think. You don't act like you used to think, like you used to act. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I am, I am so grateful that even though I don't get it right all the time, I don't act like I used to act, and I don't think like I used to think. Some of y'all need to tell yourself that every day. I don't think like I used to think. I don't act like I used to act. I'm not who I used to be. I am in Christ Jesus. That is so good. God has been so good to us for one reason. Because He loves us. Which is to say, because He wanted to. That all blow your hair back, or whatever you got left of it. God is that good to us. And He has always been that good to us. Our new self is new because it was created in the likeness of God. Let me read 2 Peter 1, 3-4. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of Him, who called us by His own glory and excellence. Isn't that awesome? For by these He has granted us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Wow. God gave us a knowledge of Him. He called us according to the weight of who He is. He made the promises that He has available to us. Not just the promise of salvation, but the promise of blessing, the promise of relationship. All so that we could walk as Christ walked. Because our nature has been changed so that we can escape the corruption that is in the world. So that we could put off the old self and put on the new self. Praise God. He gave us the ability to put on the new self. But there's a reality that I'd be remiss to not discuss with you. The Bible says that we have been made like Him. And in the text that I gave you, which is in the likeness of God, created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Did you know that you're as righteous and holy right now in the spirit as you've ever been in your whole life? If you've given your life to the Lord. But there's a tension that we need to talk about too. You're righteous and holy in the sight of God. But you're still carrying around this flesh suit. And it's still pulling on you. 
And it's still dragging you down from time to time. It's still enticing you to sin. I can sit up here and tell you till I'm blue in the face. Stop doing that. But you know what? It's going to be completely unpowerful unless the Spirit of God tells you to do that. We battle with the flesh. Every single day. I pray over here. Most of you guys know or you at least see me. <laughs> at the end of every song or the last song of every set, I always walk over into this corner and that's, that's my prayer time. God, just give me the ability to communicate whatever message you've given me. Allow me to do it in humility in a way that honors and glorifies you. Today I prayed very specifically, God, allow me to be as transparent with the people in the room as I can be. Because they need to know that they ain't the only one. All of us struggle with something. Paul struggles, struggled with something. Can I, can I read you a couple texts out of Romans chapter 6 and 7? When I, when I do something I know I'm not supposed to do, or when I, I'm feeling the pull to do something I know I'm not supposed to do, there's a couple of places that I go in the Scripture that bring me comfort and confidence. One of them is Psalms 51, which is the repentance prayer of David. And the other one is Romans 6 and 7, where Paul's just laying it out there. I'm struggling, man. This is what Paul says. Romans 6, 12, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. You know why he said that? Because he knew what it was to have sin reign in his mortal body. Romans 6.13 Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of flesh or instruments of unrighteousness. You know why he said that? Because he knows what it means to present your body as an instrument of unrighteousness. Even after he was saved, Paul knows that the struggle is real. Let me read these out of chapter 7. There's a couple quick verses out of chapter 7. Because I really want you to get this today. 17. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. And so he's saying, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. Paul got a revelation of heaven that was so awesome, he couldn't even talk about it. He got a greater revelation of eternity than any of us have ever gotten. And he still struggled in his flesh. Verse 20. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want... I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. There's the tension. The sin still exists in you. You still need to pursue Christ's likeness every single day. 23. But I see a different law in the members of my body. When he says members, he means his flesh. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members, that is my flesh. You guys ever felt like that? Feel like this, there's this war raging inside of you? Where whatever it is that you want is so dominating that you could barely think of anything else? I have. I think we all have. But you know what? God gave you the spirit to take off the old self and put on the new self. You'll see perfection one day, but you'll see perfection when you see Jesus. Until then, pursue perfection. That's what Christ wants from us, to pursue perfection at a higher level every day and to be better today than you were yesterday. 
crucify the flesh a little bit more tomorrow than you did today. And you're going to walk out of this thing one day, no matter what you deal with, no matter what wages against you. You're going to be walking down the road and like you're going to realize it's going to dawn on you. Man, it's been three months since I had a desire to do that. Man, it's been a year since I had a desire to do that. You know why? Because as we crucify our flesh, our flesh dies. That only possible by the Spirit of God. So there's two instances in me, and here's the transparent part. I'm a sinner. Some of you know this, some of you don't. I struggle every day with rage. I am a, by nature, a violent person. And some of y'all are all, look at this dude up there with his Rudy Kalis jacket on, talking about being a violent person. <laughs> but that's my nature. That's my, that is my biggest sin. And I wake up every day, and I got to grab a hold of that. And sometimes I got to wrestle it to the ground before I even get out of my bed. You know why I do? Because it doesn't honor God. But you know, there's some days I wrestle that bad boy to the ground. And before I get through my first cup of coffee, it wrestled me to the ground. And then I got to wrestle it to the ground again. Why do I tell you that? Because I could point at each one of you and say, you got sin in your life too. The Bible says that's the truth. And if you say it's not, you're a liar. That's what the Bible says. And so the question is, in pursuing Christ's likeness and taking off the old, putting on the new, where are you at? Are you in front of this thing or are you behind this thing? Are you fighting, struggling with everything in you by the power of the Spirit to not pick that up? Or did you accidentally pick it up and need forgiveness for having picked it up? Most of my days, I have both. Most of my days, I, I don't get it right. I can't remember a time in my saved life that I was able to lay down and do as David did and reflect on on his day and say, I was without sin today. But you know what I have been able to do at the end of every day? Thank you, God, for being with me that I might put down some of that flesh today. I don't know where you're at today. But I would guarantee that many of you are on either side of that sin. You're fighting desperately to not do it, or you've done it. Fighting desperately to get away from it. You know all those things that Paul said in 6 and 7? You know how he starts chapter 8? There's no condemnation in Jesus. Praise the Lord. In Jesus. Which means when I ask for forgiveness, all those failings become a foundation for Jesus to build the next victory on. And so I ask you, are you on either side of that sin? If you are, I want to pray for you today. I'm not going to make a big deal of this. I'm just going to ask that if you're struggling, and you need somebody to pray that you continue to avoid and crucify that flesh. Or if you've grabbed a hold of it one time when you shouldn't have. And you need to ask God to forgive you. Wherever you're at there, if you need prayer for those two situations, either one of those two situations, stand where you are. I would stand up, but I'm already standing. I praise God that he's faithful to us. Before I pray, let me tell you something. 
There's a truth about prayer and repentance that I think we let get past us. And that is, once you ask God to forgive it, it's gone. It's gone. As far as from the east, from the west, God says he places it behind himself. It goes in the sea of forgetfulness. Can I ask you, if we pray this prayer for you, that you leave it where God put it? Most of the weight that I carry around a guilt, I ask God to forgive. He's all, what are you talking about, man? I, I don't even remember what you're talking about. Leave it where it lays, at the foot of the cross. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you and thank you that you have reframed us, that you've given us your Holy Spirit, that in your Holy Spirit we're able to move from who we were to who you desire us to be, and ultimately in seeing you to perfection. God, I pray for every person in this room that is standing. God, for those that have, may have wanted to stand, but didn't. God, I ask that you show yourself mightily to us. God, that you strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit. That where we want to pick up this thing, this thing that our flesh desires, God, you give us the strength, the power, the ability to leave it alone, to walk away from it. And God, for those who have may, may have grabbed a hold of it, whatever that is, we ask with a sincere and true heart of repentance that you forgive us for it. God, we turn away from that, whatever that sin is. We, we not only ask you to forgive it, but we declare that we're, we're going to stop that, believing that we're going to stop that, and God, we're going to turn towards your son, Jesus. My prayer is that you just empower us, continue to empower us more and more and more every day so that as we continue to put on the new self, we can begin to see that new self working in us. God, we do it not, not just for us, but we do it for your glory. So that people may look at us and say, man, there's something different about that guy than there was 10 years ago. Something different about that girl than there was five weeks ago. God, let us make it evident that that something different is you. We praise you. We thank you. We, we worship you for the opportunity that we have to come and know this truth. That you sent your son Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. And you knew that. You did that knowing all the mistakes we were going to make anyway. And so, God, we don't sin for the sake of sinning, but we thank you that your grace is available when we do. God, we just lift up your name in this place, the name of your son Jesus in this place. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.